How cool would it be to have a high-quality wireless audio system in your home that you can build up over time as finances allow? Whether it's a big surround sound system for your living room or a small speaker for the home office, Sonos has you covered. But Sonos products aren't cheap, so whether you want to do your research before investing in a new platform or you've just taken the plunge and want to ensure you're making the most of your investment, you need Sonosthesia, the definitive guide to Sonos from a blindness perspective. Sonosthesia is an ebook packed with information about the different products in the Sonos range, all the ways you can use Sonos, and some pretty cool advanced tips. Pick up a copy of Sonosthesia today and get on track to taking your listening to the next level. Sonosthesia, available from the Mosin Consulting Store at www.mosin.org. That's www.mosen.org. Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Great to be back with you again. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the podcast. It seems like we got quite a few new listeners to The Blind Side last week. We had a massive number of downloads and a very significant number of comments on the predicament that Sue Martin found herself in at the hands of American Airlines. And I'm going to go through a selection of those comments in the podcast That's what it's all about this week, really, is a follow-up to last week's podcast. We do have some very interesting podcasts coming up that are already in the hopper, as they say. And one of them has involved considerable research. It's actually a subject matter that I'm pretty familiar with, and I'll have more to say about that uh, next week. But it never hurts to brush up and do your research before a big interview, does it? And so I have been immersing myself in one particular subject that uh, I'm about to record for on this uh, podcast, including a book that I could only find in audio. And I have to say thank you very much to the Blind Foundation here in New Zealand because I couldn't find it on Kindle. I couldn't find it on iBooks. I couldn't find it in any electronic format. I couldn't find it on Audible, but it was right there in the Blind Foundation's library. And it was a 44-hour book. That's a pretty humongous audio book. And it made me realize how my habits have changed over the years. And I wonder if yours have too. Maybe you can comment on this if you feel so inclined. I used to enjoy sitting down and reading an audiobook, and I go all the way back to 1997. That's when I joined Audible. That's amazing. That means it's 20 years this year that I have been using Audible. And I think 1997 might have been when Audible started. My goodness, the audio quality was pretty atrocious back then because Most of us had dial-up modems. Sounds like the old Monty Python Yorkshire sketch, doesn't it? Oh, we would have dreamed of having dial-up modem. But that's what we had. And you would listen to these books sounding very grainy and things like that. And I enjoyed the audiobooks. And when I did a lot of flying on very, very long trips around the world, I would listen to a lot of audiobooks and it would help me pass the time. These days, my habits have completely changed, and I use audio only as a last resort. I will look for any other possible format I can find so that I can crank the speech up and just consume the material. I don't think that it detracts from my enjoyment of the material, 
I can get through things very efficiently. And I find that sometimes the narration of a book can spoil my enjoyment of the book because they're putting their own interpretations on the voices or inflection that a character might use, and it doesn't fit with my image. And I feel like someone else's view of a character is being overdubbed over mine. And it's almost more like a dramatic performance than simply a reading of the book. So these days, I will always go for an iBook or a Kindle whenever I can find it. In this case, with my 44-hour book, I cranked it up to 225% and just just plunged into it. I'll have more to say about that particular research project when the interview was safely in the can, which I hope it will be by the end of this week. It's a really exciting and special interview. But let's focus on what we have today, which is a follow-up to the extraordinary events that Sue Martin related to us last week and that Penny Reader from Guide Dog Users Incorporated commented on, where Sue was subject to all kinds of federal law breaches and indignities at the hands of American Airlines. And this story has been picked up by many news outlets around the world. So hopefully there will be some sort of appropriate redress in the fullness of time, because it's certainly not doing American Airlines public relations any good at all. Now, I did drop Sue Martin an email as I started to put this podcast together, and I said, how are you going? Have you heard anything from American Airlines yet? And she has not heard anything further from American Airlines in the last week since we recorded the interview with Sue. So I don't know what their strategy is. I don't know whether they are just continuing to investigate this. It would be nice, you would think, if they would keep Sue in the loop if that's what's happening, to say, look, we appreciate uh, that uh, this is taking a while, but inquiries are ongoing, but apparently not. So we don't actually know whether there is any ongoing process other than the comment that Sue reported last week about disciplinary procedures, which was all a bit vague. So if there is ongoing work, Sue doesn't know anything further, and that's not really a good look either. So we've had a deluge of responses, and it was also a topic of conversation on Mushroom FM's call-in show, A Kappa at the Mosins, that we do on a Thursday night. We devoted the show to this whole subject of airlines and your experiences. We kind of veered off a little bit sometimes into other modes of transport as well. So let's take a look at some of the responses we have received. And of course, you can always give me your thoughts on the podcast, any subject matter that comes up, including this whole question of whether you still prefer audiobooks or whether you prefer to crank up the speech whether you like to read in Braille, it'd be interesting to hear your views. The email address to get in touch with me is theblindside at mosen.org. That's the blind side. Just join it all together at mosen, M-O-S-E-N dot org. We have received so many emails on this subject that it's impossible for me to read them all, but I will read what I hope is a representative selection. It's certainly great to get so much response, so thank you. I hope if I don't read your particular email that you won't feel discouraged about continuing to be in touch. Here's one from Mary Davis. We'll start with this. Hi, Mary. And she writes, I do a lot of flying and with family in Texas, usually use American Airlines. I only once had a problem with a flight attendant who told me to sit in the bulkhead or get off the plane. 
Since there was no one in the other seat, I did sit there because the dog was able to lie across both seats and so had space. If the seat is occupied, there is just not room in the bulkhead without bothering the other passenger. I reported that attendant when I returned home and was given a $200 voucher for another flight and was assured the attendant would be reprimanded. To avoid this type of problem, I now ask the person checking me in not to change my seat to a bulkhead and I make the same request to the person at the gate. So far, this has worked well for me. I've had no more seating problems. I do tell them when I book that I have a guide dog, just as I tell taxis. I think they have a right to know. From my observation, many of the people who have trouble with taxis have not told them in advance that they have a dog. Thanks for that, Mary. I have actually travelled with American Airlines with a guide dog handler And when we checked in, we specifically said that we are checking in and we did not want a bulkhead seat. And we were given one anyway and went on the plane and had to insist at that point when we found ourselves in the bulkhead against our will that we wanted this changed. And they did actually, when we did insist that we didn't want a bulkhead seat, they made the change at that point. Had they not, we would have gone to a uh, complaints resolution official and taken it further, of course. I too tell people when I book that I'm traveling with a cane. And when I was a guide dog handler here in New Zealand, I would say that I traveled with a dog. The reason for that is that in New Zealand, it is customary where possible for the airline to keep a seat free for the dog, which makes it far more comfortable. I don't think that that is common practice in America. They will try to do it if they can, but here it's the exception rather than the the norm if they don't do it. So that's a good reason for us here to say that we're traveling with a guide dog. Now, taxis, on the other hand, I never tell them because I'm concerned that it might delay me getting a cab. There is no special preparation that a cab driver has to make to accommodate a blind person with a guide dog, and it's the law. They have to take the dog. If they don't like taking the dog, they shouldn't be driving a cab. So I do differ with you on that one. I never tell a taxi company that I'm traveling with a dog and don't see why I should. So it would be interesting to get some feedback from others on that one. Thanks so much for writing in. This next email comes from Deborah Versteeg in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a part of the states I've never been, and she's got her sixth seeing eye dog, Belle, as well. So welcome to the podcast. She says, I just listened to your podcast featuring American Airlines and excusable behavior. Clearly, the passenger deserves as much reparation as is called for, her cab fare, a promise of staff training, an apology written separately by each member of the crew and an open free ticket anywhere within the US to slightly repay her for her inconvenience. When very little is done about screaming children, drunk passengers, rowdy teenagers and many other classes of folks, it is reprehensible that an ordinary, well-behaved dog guide team should have encountered such horrible treatment. 
Now, it's not all doom and gloom, and we got a few contributions from people who said they've had nothing but excellent experiences with airlines. Here's one such contribution from Marvin. He says, when I was living in Tasmania, Australia, and had to fly, I was able to fly successfully. I did let Virgin, Qantas, and Jetstar know I was totally blind and use a cane. I couldn't fault the extra help I had and was able to pre-board And one time, the last time moving back to Adelaide with my parents in 2013, I went on the Jetstar plane, was late leaving Devonport, North Tasmania, and then had me and 12 other sighted passengers get a cart and just hurry on to the connecting flight to Adelaide. They were fantastic. Could not fault the help of all the staff on board. Then they had someone help me off the plane and meet my sister at the terminal. Also had really good help on the spirit of Tasmania travelling back and forth as I've got family in South Australia. Thanks for sharing your positive experiences with us, Marvin. I know there are some mixed feelings in the blind community about those cards. Some people just will not use them and others don't mind them. And of course, that's everybody's right to accept the accommodations that they feel comfortable with and decline hopefully respectfully, those accommodations they do not. Let's go on to some audio comments now. We've received a number of them by email. Let's pick this one to begin with from Sarah. Hello, Jonathan. This is Sarah Hillis, or Sarah Fair. I must castigate American Airlines. I mean, we've already been castigating them, but that is unbelievable. It is believable because we heard the story, but I think if it was me... I would have curled up into a ball of goo, frankly. I am not a... I'm okay at advocating. I can do my best. But if someone who doesn't even tell me who they are tells me to get off the plane and they're a bigger person, say, I can tell that by listening to, you know, how tall they are kind of thing. Um, I think I would have been very scared, actually. Very scared indeed. And... I try to be dignified in these situations, but I have a problem that if I'm if there's a confrontational thing going on and it goes on for a little too long, uh, my stress reaction is to start crying or to at least have a lump in my throat and to find it hard to be firm and yet calm and yet all the things you're supposed to be as a as a person who's blind and has rights and all the rest of it. My personal view on this whole airline thing is that being at airports, like I don't even understand how these people who work for the airlines actually keep their sanity. When I travel, which I don't do very often, but if ever I do, I'm very keen, or on trains or anything, I want to tell them everything about my situation that I can. Maybe that seems undignified, or maybe that seems like, why should you have to, because you're a person like everybody else. But it allows them to to activate their policies, all right? And maybe their policies are not all best, the best. I would explain to them exactly what I'd like them to do, hopefully, and hopefully they would obey what I'd like them to do. That's my that's my ideal world. Um, but some of these policies are kind of cookie cutter. Some of them are really not clear. And so, again, we have this fake rulemaking. Yes, our dog schools are very adamant in telling you that you do not need to sit in the bulkhead if it doesn't work for you. And that's not a rule. You know, they're very good at telling us those kinds of things. And they're very good at telling us, you know, if if they require you to sit in a wheelchair and say you have a dog with you, and that seems really weird, throw your bag into the wheelchair. 
Because if their policy, that's the airport more than anything, but if their policy is to have a wheelchair for someone, they have to have that wheelchair or they could get balled out by their supervisor. So you just use your, use the wheelchair uh, the best way that you can. Um, I've never had problems, but then when I've had a service dog, I've only taken flights to and from dog school, and um, the from was with the service dog. So uh, I've never I've never had any problems. Uh, but then it was from New Jersey, and for the most part, Newark Airport is pretty good, especially when the instructor is right there saying hello. I'm from Seeing Eye. You know they have their their whatever identifying things. So I haven't, I've not really traveled enough as a, as a guide dog user to, to comment on exactly that. Uh, I, I know that when I was first uh, traveling, when I took a flight by myself, it was not, uh, was it my first? No, it wasn't. It was my second flight, I think, but uh, my first flight by myself. And it was uh, all the way out to British Columbia, so 3,000 miles. And um, I had a flight and I told them who I, that I was blind and stuff. And because I did that, I had all the assistance I needed. I was 20 years old, and I, I, this was a completely new, you know, experience flying. This was when they served meals on the planes and stuff, too, and, and it, was, it was nice, you know, but I had a cane. I didn't have a dog. There wasn't anything to do with that. Uh, Canada, in general, is better, I think, uh, but we have smaller airlines and a smaller population and smaller airports, and <laughs> so there you are, but... Uh, I'm sure there are problems here too, because you just never know who you're going to get on staff. And uh, I will say I have a stepsister that used to work security at an airport, which is not quite the same as being an airline person. But um, I think that these jobs are ridiculous, and they ask you to do ridiculous things. Um, the support animals? I have a comment about that. How could a rabbit ever keep you calm? I'm sorry, I had a rabbit. <laughs> he was not a calm bunny he he would have not been calm in jumping onto this weird plane and being an emo- I, I don't understand i don't understand i'm not i don't need an emotional support animal so i don't understand how it works but a rabbit come on i i, I kind of agree with you there jonathan <laughs> and actually i agree that emotional support animals should have some socialization in in different environments i actually totally agree with that 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 there should that's a, a large part of guide dog training is environmental um, uh, a customization, right? So that's what they should. That's what they need. And what I'm going to do now is play some extracts from a couple at the Mosins, the call-in show. Hope you enjoy them, and maybe it'll encourage you to tune in live, and of course, call in live, which would be marvelous. We'll start with a call we got from Massachusetts from Lindsay Yazzolino. And Lindsay is somebody who actually enjoys flying. Not only does she enjoy flying, she actually enjoys being bumped off flights because she can get all kinds of recompense. You know, they give you cash, they give you round-trip tickets, they give you all sorts of incentives. If you are willing to be bumped off the flight, you're booked on because it's airline practice these days to overbook the flights. So she's a very frequent flyer and a pretty accomplished flyer. Here are some of her perspectives that she shared with us on the show. I usually will go ahead and do the process um, of booking the flight, you know, um, online and, and use, you know, take advantage of the mobile apps and all of that uh, for checking in. And even, you know, as I'm, as I'm flying to sort of, 
get updates about gate changes and, you know, where my my flight will arrive, you know, the arrival gate, those kinds of things. I feel like when I used to, so when I was younger and I would fly, um, you know, I used to put in the request for assistance and I used to, you know, pretty much do what, you know, I'd wait for them and do all that. And I found that, um, you know, I mean, I as of, I would say, about, you know, over the past, um, you know, 10 how old am I? 28. So, like, over the, you know, past, like, 10 years ago uh, or so, I, you know, I've, I've pretty much stopped doing that and just kind of done it by myself and, you know, asked for um, passengers and, or, you know, airport staff to point me in the right direction. And, and, yeah. Do you, and, and even, you know, one thing I found, even if you ask for assistance, half the time they don't show up anyway. So you end up yeah, either exactly. having to wait or just go off in your, your own direction. And have you found that, yeah. especially being a, a woman who is about my height as well, have you find that sometimes the assistance is forced on you or that you, you have difficulty commuting? Oh communicating your needs or not or communicating your need for not a need to to airport yeah personnel. i mean i would say the biggest annoyance is you know because i don't usually ask for assistance um to, you know tsa or whatever boarding or whatever part of the process and having people you know that i need assistance you know i've, I've had a lot of great people who are just like okay cool you know that mm-hmm. sounds good um, and those interactions are always, you know, refreshing. Um, that being said, like, like you said, sometimes, you know, you get people who they just have trouble taking no as an answer. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you kind of have to make it a point to, you know, to be heard that, yes, you know, I, I'm all set. Thank you. But, you know, so that that's the that is definitely the more uh, annoying aspect, I would say, is just having you know, people assume you need help, um, or just not letting you, you know, and sometimes if it's a new airport, you know, I appreciate the, oh, I'm fine with someone walking me to the, you know, where I need to be as long as, first of all, they're not, you know, treating me like cargo, (laughs) um, you know, trying to make me sit in a wheelchair, like get on the cart or whatever. Um, and also just, you know, making sure, you know, that they're not, keep trying to stick with me even when I'm all set Mm -hmm. like sometimes you get people and sometimes it's a language barrier sometimes it's just people not thinking a blind person can go to the airport themselves I think you had an issue with this Bonnie didn't you when you when you were going to New Zealand (laughs) I was just thinking about I I had the mother of all strange airport experiences (laughs) Um, when I came to New Zealand the first time to visit Jonathan. I flew out of LAX. I'd come in from Newark and I had left my dog at Seeing Eye. So I was dogless. I had my cane. And I had about a five hour layover between my flight from Newark and my flight to New Zealand. So I was just going to wander around, go to Starbucks, have some dinner, you know, the things you do in the airport. And well, I had someone assist me to the international terminal. And they wouldn't leave. I could not get rid of them. They were very nice. They were, I said, I don't. And you had a massive delay, didn't you? I mean, a gap between flights. Oh, it was like five hours. And, and basically the bo- 
bottom line is they didn't want to work. So they just they just sat there with me at the gate texting on their phone. And then their friends showed up. So then I had three or four of them. And I'm like, I could not get rid of these people. And I started Facebooking hour two of my captivity because I'm like, I'm fine. You know, you, you don't have. Oh, it's OK. It's OK. I'm just doing my job. I'm like, uh, more like not doing your job. But it was the weirdest thing I have ever had happen. And and I didn't know how to get rid of them. And I couldn't get up and just start wandering around because they, they, they came with me. And then there was then there was more of them. It was the it was the weirdest thing I have ever had happen. Staying in Boston, Massachusetts for the next call. This is Mika Pikeller, who's a very frequent flyer. And he tells us an interesting experience he had with AirTran. I used to fly AirTran a lot, actually, particularly during the 2008 Democratic campaign, the primary campaign, because I didn't want to miss a moment of it. And they had Sirius XM built into the seats. You could dial up whatever Sirius XM channel you wanted. So I would dial up CNN or a channel like that. They had a special POTUS channel. They still do, actually. And I was able to listen in flight. It's all been merged with Southwest now. But here's a not so good experience that Mick had with them. So the time I was thrown off a flight, it was an air trans flight from Boston to Baltimore. And um, I was going to a meeting in Washington, D.C. And when I got to the airport, everything was going fine. You know, everything was very smooth with security and with the gate agents and for those of you from Boston, it was departing out of the C-40 to 42 gate where AirTran was at one point. And so, you know, there wasn't any foreshadowing or anything that there might be a problem. But then immediately once I stepped onto the plane, the flight attendant said something like, right when I got to the door, he said something like, I have to give you a special briefing, which is kind of a, usually they wouldn't say that at the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of told him, no, you know, that I flew a lot and that I didn't really need a special briefing. And then I just went to my seat. And then shortly thereafter, he came back to my seat and he said, you know, I have to give you a special briefing. And I said, no, you know, I really didn't need that. And then he went to talk to the pilot and the gate agents and then, um, then one of the gate agents came and said, well, I'll fly with him, you know, if that would make you feel more comfortable. Fly like, with him? He wanted to kind of, he, yeah, I mean, he kind of, he would have been able to leave his post and just fly with me and then fly back. <laughs> and I said, you know, I said, no, I'm going to need to really talk to a complaint resolution official, uh-huh. a CRO, which which in the U.S., if anybody has any kind of disability problem, they can and should ask to talk to a CRO or a complaint resolution official. And it's usually just an airline supervisor that's had, you know, or supposed to have had the, the required training to be a CRO. And then I remember I was sitting, my seatmate, I, I think his name was something like Winky. And he said he was really terrified of flying. So this must have really kind of unnerved, you know, this was kind of an odd situation. And they were kind of talking about it and the the captain got involved. And then finally, at one point, one of the gate agents came up to me and she's like, would you get all your stuff and get off the plane? 
And I said to her, well, you know, are you going to compensate me for this? And she said, yes, yes, we're definitely going to compensate you. So I, I got my stuff, and I don't know what I would have done if she said no. You know, it, it's all <laughs> hypothetical. But, but she said, yes, don't worry, you know. So then I got off the plane, and they said, you know, we're going to put you on the next Baltimore flight and upgrade you. And I said, well, that's going to put me there too late, you know, because I had this meeting in D.C. Um, so, you know, that's not going to work that well. And then then they said, um, well, we'll put you on the U.S. Air shuttle to Reagan National. So that, you know, that actually got me closer to D.C. than, than where I would have been originally. Mm-hmm. Can I play devil's advocate and say... So when you boarded that plane and the guy said, I need to give you a special briefing, wouldn't it have saved you a whole lot of aggro if you'd have just said, yeah, yeah, okay, and let him do his spiel and go? I mean, sometimes isn't it easier just to accept the assistance offered even if you don't necessarily need the assistance for a peaceful life? I mean, I think in that case it was more, you know, he started it right at the point where I got to the door you know it wasn't mm-hmm. the normal thing where they do it once you sit down or that it was very he was definitely making a very big deal out of it and i think it kind of worked out for the better like i think i would have been uncomfortable you know flying with him and he was obviously uncomfortable with me and it worked out better that i got kind of closer to my desk you know the whole thing kind of worked out for the best yeah. that it could have we'll return to our guests on the blind side in just a moment Ransomware, malware, spyware. The internet has opened up so many opportunities for us as blind people, but there are plenty of scary dudes out there who want to steal your identity. Although it may seem the height of chic to connect to a free public hotspot somewhere and keep on working, doing that without the appropriate security, well, it's kind of like jumping out of a plane without a parachute, really. When you connect to an unencrypted Wi-Fi hotspot, it's like broadcasting on the radio for everyone to tune into. It's true, more and more websites are taking care of this by being encrypted, but there are still many that are not, and that means unscrupulous people can find out lots of stuff about who you are, and in the worst case, even a password or two. So don't connect to a public Wi-Fi hotspot without HMA VPN. Running the app on your computer or smartphone encrypts all your traffic, keeping it safe from prying eyes when you get some work done in a cafe. Identity theft is time-consuming, potentially costly, humiliating, and it happens to real people like us. So do the smart thing. Subscribe to HMA VPN. Enjoy those free public hotspots and peace of mind at the same time. For more info, head on over to mosin.org HMA. That's mosin.org HMA. Get peace of mind and support the Blindside podcast at the same time with HMA VPN. And by no means are these issues unique to the United States. We've got a couple of international perspectives right here from my home country of New Zealand. We hear from Owen here in Wellington. Back in 2009, Mum and I were uh, flying from Wellington to Auckland on uh, Pacific Blue and then on to Corongatta from Auckland. Everything was all fine going, f- it was all booked for the tribulation and everything and and saying that, you know, I had a guide dog and the map provider and everything, and that was all fine. We get to Auckland to board the one to go to call and Gatter, and they turned around and said at the gate, do you have your own mat? I said, no, that was all organised. No, you've got to have your own mat. 
they weren't going to let mum or my or me with my guide dog that was a Zoltan on the plane. So we still had to stand our ground and everything. And then eventually they did let us on. And then when we got on the plane, it was two mats on the floor. Oh, Which airline was this? This was Pacific Blue. When yeah, that flight. doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. 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 But Pacific Blue was the airline that I actually went to the Human Rights Commission over because they mm. made you call the call centre if you were a blind passenger right. just to make a booking. Exactly. Uh, and we, we took that all the way through the human rights process. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you do get that with a, a lot of the budget airlines, don't you, where they sort of make up these rules. Um, I don't think the need for guide dogs to have mats is such a big deal in the US, is no, it, No, they don't. Air New Zealand and Jetstar always have the mats. And then when we we took the, the Dreamliner from Auckland to Los Angeles last year, and I assumed that they'd have a mat for Lizzie. Not that Lizzie would probably ever use the mat, but... No. Um, I let America know three times that I was bringing a service animal on board. Got on plane, flight crew had no clue. And I asked about a mat, and the woman's like, I've been flying 30 years, I've never heard of a mat. And I said, well, Air New Zealand always gives, well, that's Air New Zealand, we're a U.S. carrier, so they 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 don't. So, yeah, and, and I've f- flown so much in the U.S., and that that's never come up. I mean, even... On short hops from like Auckland to Wellington, they're very obsessed over putting the mat down. Yeah. yeah. These are these super absorbent mats that are supposed to, like if the dog pees or something, then, you know, keeps the... (laughs) So so when we got to Kulangata, because we were going to hold uh, for a break with mum's brother and stuff, and I told him about it, and so immediately when we were holiday there, he got on smartly to the bishop below and wrote wrote him a very strong letter and uh, made a complaint and about... Weeks later, I got a uh, two hundred dollar credit. Mm. Yeah, well, good, good for you. Yeah, and that's the thing about this stuff is that you were there on holiday trying to have a good time, and suddenly you're thrust into the stressful situation because of airlines not understanding their responsibilities. And it is kind of, it looms over many blind people when they travel because they never know. You know, you can get, like like Sue Martin on the podcast this week, you can go for decades, and then you just don't know when you're going to turn up to the airport and have a terrible experience. And sometimes it's something that, you know, we try to, those of us that, that travel a lot or those of us that that do advocacy or, or, or interest in advocacy, that learn advocacy, you can have every scenario in your head and then run up against something that is so off the wall that Hollywood couldn't have scripted it, you know, and, and you're just kind of thinking of what parallel universe did I fall into here? And I think one thing that that has happened or that does happen at least in the US and I know New Zealand's a smaller market there are so many different departments I mean you have airports that are under the jurisdiction of the FAA they're under a municipality they're this they're that and it's hard to know who to talk to who talks to who whose jurisdiction it is when you do you you have the crows as Mecca mentioned but with that's Sue Martin, the crow didn't even know the regulations. So, mm. you know, it's... it's yeah. That was the situation in Auckland. Apparently, we found out when we got home that the actual people that manned the gates were a different company to the actual airline. Mm-hmm. And that's where the communication... Yeah. 
do the communication breaks down because yeah. a lot of it is privatized. They're not they're hired outsourced. by the airlines. They're yeah. outsourced, outsourced and it's... Yeah. And how are things over in the United Kingdom? Sean shares his perspective. We get a lot of the same issues. Um, that's the first thing. It's not... Nothing is ever perfect. I mean, I flew from London over to Newark, which I know Bonnie knows well and has already been mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, the assistance is... Privatised and very interesting. Let's put it that way. (laughs) That's that's diplomatic. They, well, well, uh, yes. (laughs) Um, Heathrow. I don't know whether either of you have been through the new Terminal Five. Not the new one, no, no. 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 Right. I will. Anybody that goes through there, and I've been through there quite a bit. You know, I would challenge any blind person to get through there independently because it is huge. I can tell you some of the NFB people would take up that challenge, Sean. I've seen some very capable NFB travellers go through airports like O'Hare and, uh, you know, um, Newark. Here's here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing. So, you know, flying from, obviously, London to Newark, got to the airport with my family, check in, straight off to assistance. I'd booked assistance for a little bit of peace of mind because I'd never flown to Newark. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd done, I'd done JFK before, but never knew it. So it was more the other end, you know. It wasn't London. London doesn't bother me. Um, so, you know, straight into the assistance with about three hours international check-in. And I remember, you know, what, needing to go to the bathroom halfway through this. So, yeah, excuse me, can I go? To, oh, can you wait five minutes? <laughs> well, not really. Oh, we haven't got anyone to take you. Mm. But you're providing assistance. You know, and it's that kind of, they, they're providing a service. I don't necessarily know they th- or think they know what service they need to provide. Yes, yes. Um, because it's different if you are partially sighted mm-hmm. or you're totally blind. Yes. You know, I, I have this discussion with so many blind people all the time. So anyway, got on the plane, got to Newark, and I, I fly to the US a lot, and I'll come on to it later this year in a second, but... The customs and border official was like, Sean, listen to me. As if I had, you know, I was deaf as well as visually oh, impaired. <laughs> Let's take another tra- mode of transport, um, and that's trains in the UK. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of difference between different stations because each station is run from a different uh, train operating provider. Mm-hmm. So each provider is responsible for dealing with assistance. So, you know, you go to an unmanned station, you've got no hope. Yeah. You go to a station that is supposed to provide assistance, well, you might get it. You know, come to London. Come to London, I could take you two round and show you where you won't get assistance, believe me. It's uh, interesting. I've, be, I've used the uh, rail system a bit in Britain, and I was blown away. I mean, I booked a long-distance train... It was from, I think it was Birmingham, Birmingham to Liverpool or something like that. Birmingham. And I was absolutely amazed. I have not yeah. ever received assistance like this. So there was a person, oh, it's, it's great. there was a person waiting for me at the taxi yep. when I took it, when I, when I arrived at the station and the guy yep. took me. Uh, to my train and he made yeah. sure that I was on and then he got off the train and I I did my trip and then when I got to Liverpool there was somebody right at the yep. at the They're door radioing ahead I mean it was absolutely 
staggering. Oh. And I thought, you know, it no was. wonder they're – it's just absolutely amazing. How long ago was that, though? That was only here's about eight years ago. Oh. Yeah. Here's the thing. It works when that happens, mm-hmm. okay? But if they forget to call through – you're right, Bonnie. If they forget to radio ahead and you're going to somewhere like London – you know, you jump off the train at St Pancras or Euston, take your pick, doesn't matter where it is, you want to get down to the tube, you're relying on other people. Now, mm-hmm. you're like me, Jonathan, you're, and the two of you sound like me, you're very confident, you've travelled a lot, There's not, not much phases you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you're stood there, you know, late at night and there's no yes. one around, it's like, ooh, actually... The disability hits home, doesn't it? It does, yes. I've had that in but, South you know, Station, in, in Boston, when oh. I've gotten off a, a train to go to the Silver Line to the airport. I did it on yeah. Christmas Day one time, and 8 o'clock in the morning, this is South Station, one of the busiest train stations yeah. in the Northeast. No one was there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, where's yeah. everyone? It, it's kind of a, you know, when you think to yourself, hold on a minute, normally... It doesn't bother me, but I don't know about you two, but you get that kind of maybe nanosecond of, oh, hang on, what now? If you are the independent type who will seek assistance from members of the public or airline staff to get to your gate, what do you do when airline staff just plain flat out refuse to tell you a simple piece of information? That's the experience that Angie Matney of Virginia had when she was traveling. This was when I was visiting law schools and I was flying out, I think, to see the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was on the way back. I had connecting flights and my first one was late. So that meant I was barely going to be able to make my second flight. Oh, gosh. And I was really nervous about this. So I got off the, the first flight and... Um, had to get, you know, to a whole different gate across the airport. And I asked the person, I said, can you tell me which way to go to get to gate, whatever? Because um, I had asked for assistance, but nobody was there to meet me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I thought, okay, well, then I'll just head off that way. I'm not going to stand around and wait for them to show up. Well, this lady refused to tell me which way to go. I can't give you that information. What? I said, why? Do I go left or right? Well, I can't tell you because if you walk away from here and then you're injured, you know, we could have liability. What the heck? So I said, well, yeah. <laughs> so I said, okay, then don't tell me. I'm just going to pick a direction and go. And so then she goes, fine. And she got up and left her station and came with me and grumbled about it the whole time. Oh, I was geez. like, look, lady, I didn't ask you to come with me. I asked you to tell me which way to go. Um you know, you made the decision to do this, so oh, I not at all. Uh, yes. Plus, if I'd missed uh, my no flight, I would have been more than a little bit upset than injured, you know. Yeah, there are some <laughs> real training issues. And to cap it off, a final story from me. Angie is a mum to a lovely wee boy. He's getting older all the time. That seems to happen, doesn't it? And it reminded me of an experience that I had completely forgotten about. Maybe I just blanked it out of my brain because it was quite a traumatic experience the time I related it to the audience on a cuppa at the Mosins. If there's one thing that I get very protective about and indignant about, it's when somebody tries to interfere with my rights as a blind person to parent my children. And I was president of the blindness organization attending a conference in Rotorua, and it was a very nice um, hotel. And so Amanda and I think it must have been two children at that point came with me 
And um, I did my speech and then we were heading home on a plane and it was with an airline that is now defunct. And I was sitting there with Heidi, who was the oldest and still is, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, we were sitting there all strapped in. I made sure she was all buckled up and we were having a chat. And this person came up to me, this flight crew member, a male flight crew member, and said, Mr. Mosin, because you're, and then there was a long pause, blind, we're going to have to take your daughter and sit her next to another passenger. And I said, what on earth for? And he said, because if there's an emergency, we are obliged to ensure that she is taken care of. And I said, I strongly resent the insinuation that anybody would be more qualified to take care of my child in the event of an emergency than me. And do you seriously think that I'm going to give up sitting next to my own daughter to some stranger that I don't know just to satisfy your ignorance about mm-hmm. blindness. And by this, it was a small plane <laughs> and the whole aircraft applauded. Mm-hmm. And the there were two flight members on the flight crew uh, plus the pilot and the female flight attendant came down and told him that he was completely out of line and that uh, the airlines are not in the business of taking children away from their parents and to back off. And she got a round of applause as well. Cool. Uh, so, you know, it was really good to have that kind of support. But yeah. it was just a horrible situation, yeah. you know, when your competence as a blind parent is questioned like that in such a public way. I hope he learned mm-hmm. from the experience. And there you have it. Those are just some of the comments we've received in various forums over the last week alone on experiences that blind people have had predominantly with airline travel. Clearly, there are some training issues, awareness issues that need to be addressed. I guess we all need to do our part. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.